All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. What was that rocket? What rocket? I was just in my office and I heard a rocket. Describe the rocket, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? DJ Nubis and DJ Nickel with you on episode 125 of the Hordes of Chaos on the Metal Titan Radio podcast. How the fuck are you? Good. I'm all set. You're very excited Saturdays. for our weekend? Yes. I am too. I um, You know, we, we talk about Joe Bob a lot and um, we were just very fortunate that we only live about three hours from the Mahoning Drive-In and, you know, we're going to, we decided... We're only we got the early bird ticket for Saturday because we're seeing pictures of people trying to get in for right. like six o'clock the six o'clock. Yeah, show. right now I'm looking at pictures of people backed up. And so trying I to get in. and they only sold so many early birds. So I figure like we're gonna leave here around eight, and we'll get there around eleven, and we're allowed to check into our hotel. They won't, our room won't be ready, but. We'll, we'll be able to check in and let them know that we're here. Um, they have, we're not really going to have anything, and we're not going to get back until like 2 a.m. So we just, you know, we're just going to lay our heads down, and then we have to be out by like 10 or 11 the next day and, and drive home. I thought I found an inexpensive place to stay, and I thought that was probably a better idea than waking up at the butt crack of dawn, driving all the way up to the, the theater, and then, you know, after we've been out in the heat and and zipping around all day coming home leaving at 2 a.m to drive three hours to come home and fall asleep at 5 a.m and yeah that would have been a nightmare so at least we'll get a couple of hours of sleep before we leave and um we do have to board miss kitty though she needs to stay somewhere overnight so it's okay she'll be fine she might be noisy and drive them crazy because she don't know you know she doesn't know what's Welcome going on to our world. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it's just been so crazy this week you know it's always crazy at work but it's like i feel like it's on overdrive this week so i'm like oh my god i'm not letting work like ruin my my good Bog mood you down yeah <clears throat> yeah 
Uh, I really look forward to it. I don't know how crazy it's going to be, but it should be a lot of fun. It's something we haven't actually kind of done anything together in quite a while, so mm -hmm. this I will mean, be a lot of fun. This is like a little tiny mini vacation for us. All right. We haven't taken a vacation together in forever. I know when I'm not joking, we, we don't usually vacation together. We staycation and we have people come visit us. Um, normally when I go on vacation, it's with my mom, which I have some stuff set up in, in the fall. And then, or my, um, my girlfriends, but, or we've done a couple of family vacations and we're going to do an, another family vacation in, um, for Thanksgiving, but nothing like just you and I, we didn't even do a honeymoon. I mean, like we need to get on that. Right. Well, in this episode, uh, we've gonna Neko and I are gonna go back through the, our own top fifty American rock band list, best of all time. We'll break into that, uh, see how we differ, see how we are similar. Mm -hmm. uh, we're gonna talk a little about the Loki series finale, mm -hmm. and Neko had a pick of the week. Mm -hmm. Scarred me for life. No, it actually didn't. But uh, we'll get into that later. And I got some little news bits in the music uh, area. We'll talk about plenty of new music and classics along the way. Uh, Neko's pick of the week. My music pick of the week. Yep. Uh, so we got a lot going on. I'll kick off this first block. Uh, brand new stuff from a band called Thelemite. It's in for the kill.
this is Isaac Goldsmith. Somber news to pass along first. Uh, former guitarist for Cinderella, uh, Jeff Labar, has passed away. Oh, that's really sad. Yeah, yeah, only 58. Uh, apparently, though, he'd been battling uh, alcoholism, uh, drug, uh, alcohol addiction for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the band Cinderella hadn't released a full length album since 1994, but they were apparently tried to tour again in 2000, uh, yeah, 2010. But uh, I guess he had some episode at one of their shows where he was out of control. And at that point, the band just kind of said enough's enough. And they didn't want to deal with it. But they were all still very sad at his passing. Uh, I guess he kept in touch with bassist. Um, who was the bassist? Uh, should I forget? Uh, but they, they only lived like 20 minutes from each other. And they used to talk a lot. And I guess he talked to Fred Curry a little bit. But... As far as the singer, um, Tom Kiefer, they didn't really talk much after that. So I guess they never got back into anything else. Um, I do remember, though, like, I don't know if I talked about it on our show or not. Uh, There's actually a YouTube video uh, from the band itself before they became big. I think it was Bon Jovi that discovered them and brought them up to the forefront. Uh but they had done this like commercial for this hot dog stand or something and they were <laughs> singing that you know just about the hot dog song or whatever that's it was. hysterical yeah it's really great um but it's too bad about uh jeff and the issues that he faced but one of the things that i really enjoyed about uh him and Kiefer and all them when you know they played was for the video somebody saved me uh, there's a moment where they're actually taking turns playing each other's guitar while they're playing the rest of the song. So I always thought that was kind of cool. That is pretty wild. And I, I um, And I think it was the first time I saw the bassist actually do the whole, like, windmill thing with the bass, swing it around and mm-hmm. play it. So, uh, you know, the band for Night Songs is still, like, one of the greatest hard rock albums that you can really think of. I, you know, I don't think they even made my list, but mainly because of that short time that they played, but... Uh, that record. You know, alcoholism is is really when you're. I always joke that I'm an alcoholic, but I can actually go and not drink, and I can hold a job. And when you're a full blown alcoholic, like you cannot stop drinking. It will make you ill. That's yeah. why they have to be ha- hospitalized. And right. And Jeff, you know, he he acknowledged a lot of the problems with him, and you know, he just said he couldn't stop. Like there were times he would do interviews with people, like he can sit here like you and Ian talk, but he'd be liquored up. Mm-hmm. And they say, well, you're drunk right now? He's like, yeah, pretty much. Uh, so he knew he had a problem, and, you know, he knew he was the fault of what was happening with them not playing gigs and stuff like that. So he recognized that he just couldn't stop. You know, knowing my adoptive father passed away from alcoholism, I know how tough that can be uh, when you want to try to quit and you can't. So Did your um, adopted father have, like, just liver failure? I don't remember. Uh, I do remember mom taking me to the hospital. He was basically on a breathing machine at that point, but he, I don't think he survived the night. Um, but, you know, I was too young to really understand everything was going on. I knew that he was sick. And, mm-hmm. 
but one of the issues that people would have, I, I don't really hold it against him because, you know, again, I was too young, but because when he and my mom separated, that was one of the reasons why, is because he couldn't stop his drinking. Mm-hmm. And, but he would still get visitation rights, so I'd go on the weekends. And uh, I remember him going to the bar to play pool with his friends, and I'd have a Coke at the bar, and he'd probably be drinking. And sometimes, like, when I'd be at his hotel with or his, his apartment, you know, he'd be passed out, and I'd, he'd buy, like, a model for me to play with or something to do while he was passed out. But the the memories are very vague and spotty you know at best ironically i remember one time leaving the bar with my my adoptive father and this is around the time my mother started seeing ben and uh i saw him drive by in his little mazda <laughs> so i thought that was kind of funny. like hey binky <laughs> right so uh yeah so you know it it was a sad thing just you know he couldn't get over that demon he been in the military, so who knows if he had PTSD at that time. It's very possible. You know, um, it's just one of those things, like, a lot of the stuff that we know now, we didn't really know back then mm-hmm. too much. So. I mean, we, we find out new things the way PTSD and affects not just, like, you know, people who go through war, but also people who go through something traumatic, where you don't know what the problem is like and this was happened happened to um Gina's sister she, she was talking about it um because apparently her her pregnancy and her delivery and all was really really bad right and she would she was telling like her doctor she said I don't think this is regular like postpartum depression like this this is like debilitating and then they um you know, explain to her, you know, you had a lot going on and you were really sick and, the, you know, the the pregnancy and the delivery was really, really bad and, you know, people, people with PTSD from jobs, from relationships and, you know, at least, you know, Stephanie, I feel like she's, she's, she's handling it the right way by, like, being a really good mom and, but I, she said, you know, one thing that she realized that something was kind of like a little bit more serious that you know a lot of women have the postpartum depression because your hormones are going all over the place she's like i would just see stuff happening to kids mm-hmm. like just watching the news or whatever and i'd look at you know manny and be like oh my god if something like and she just would like just be all anxiety and crying and freaking out and she's like I can't believe anybody would do that to like a child like their own child because you hear all these horrible stories about how people treat their children so I mean well I recently what I think you and I were watching it maybe it was just me um the woman ended up drowning her kids in the tub mm -hmm. you know they were saying she was dealing with mental illness Mm -hmm. at that point so I mean, remember? It's well, I'm always conflicted with stuff like that. I mean, I can't. I'm not a doctor. Can't say whether or not it's legit or not. But well, just think about it this way: when people feel like they're overwhelmed and they have no way out, you know, they justify things in their head—the stress, the PTSD, whatever. 
not so much during COVID did we hear a lot about this, but remember back in like 2008 when like the stock market crashed and the housing market crashed and everybody lost their jobs and the bubble burst or whatever. We were hearing stories of like fathers who were like supporting the families, losing their jobs, they're losing their homes, and then they come home and like just kill the whole family and then kill themselves. You know, I, th I think part of it for them was they're like, I do not know how to fix this. And then like the, you know, dealing with everyday life. I mean, I honestly think it would be better for him just to be an alcoholic and then kill instead of killing his whole family. But right, and that's the thing. Like, I've never understood. I'm not that saying part that that's that's a good thing to be an alcoholic, but you know, no. that's how people are were handling things right. back then. Is there was a lot of murder murder suicides, and it, it's just so crazy. It's really sad. Like, you know, that was Jeff Jeff's uh, crutch. You know. And you said you would see him. Um, you would you would see him on stage, or you'd see him in interviews, and he was always drunk. But you said it was like a really great show all the time. Right. I mean, you know, and he said just, and that's something you hear a lot with bands in general is the touring and the alcohol is always there, probably the drugs as well. Yeah, it's just in the back. You, I mean, I recently just read that Fieldy from Corn had to step down for a little bit because he was falling into old habits. Mm -hmm. And we know that when Head left, it was because he was addicted to drugs. And when he finally came back, I think the whole band was kind of clean at that point. Mm -hmm. So, again, when you're touring and stuff and you've got these other younger bands out there that haven't really uh, dealt with the vulnerability of dying, like, you know, we always think we're immortal in a sense when we're younger that we don't take you think you got all this time right and so you're around these other bands that are probably still doing this stuff so it's probably influencing that but it ties into another article uh both are on blabbermouth.net uh Derek green was recently uh interviewed and talked about how he himself has stayed healthy throughout his career with sepultura and that he never understood why other bands and members get plastered and wasted before they go on shows. And it is interesting because, like, for cases like Jeff, it's like, okay, he's addicted, so there's some issues there. Same with guys like Head and whoever. Um, but then, like, you know, Phil and Selma, I remember seeing Pantera where he was, like, so fucked up he couldn't remember lyrics. Mm-hmm. And falling like, off the stage right and it, you know I don't know if Phil is necessarily addicted to anything I think he just likes to get fucked up mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, there are people like that and uh, but you do the, the fan base does pay a, a heavy price for that when you're performing because you're not giving your best and uh, one thing that um, you know this I don't think Derek was really trying to be negative or about pointing it. fingers or right. anything he says, I thought it was sad and tragic seeing Amy Winehouse come out knowing her potential and then doing these horrible shows and having her career end so suddenly it was barely starting it's very sad I just never liked as a fan to go to a show and see band wasted while they're performing or not able to do their job or just look beaten down so I'm gonna step in on because you know I'm a closeted Amy Winehouse fan 
there were a lot of people who were in charge of her and in charge of her uh, media and in charge of booking her and the reason she had so many bad shows toward the end so she was not only dealing with you know being addicted to drinking or being addicted she had a really crazy husband relationship thing um, and she really at one point when she started getting better was trying to step back and relax now not only was she dealing with her addiction but she was also a dealing with an eating disorder which nobody talks about either right. which when you when you have bulimia or any other kind of eating disorder hers was was bulimia um, your electrolytes are all fucked up so if you're drinking and and taking prescription drugs you're gonna be all fucked up anyway that's why if you look at pictures of her she got very thin combination of the eating disorder the you know drug use the alcohol use so the people who were in charge of her just kept because she was hot you know and she had taken time off and then she wrote another record and it was a big smash again and they were just pushing her and pushing her and pushing her yeah, to it tour. It happens a lot. Same, you know, well, we, we look at Kurt Cobain and he was dealing with heroin mm -hmm. and everything. And she, she literally, the reason why she, you've seen, I forgot what, there was a couple of shows where she just went in, she just showed up because, to fulfill her contract and did not sing or do anything because she was so exhausted and just didn't want to tour anymore that she was like, she just couldn't handle it and she just showed up because they were forcing her to go on stage now granted yes she she was having this real life crisis but everyone around her was no help and these are her people managing her these are her label That's part of the problem too. and this is like her father as well like just pushing her because well she, we Notice that. I mean, it's kind I mean, of like Britney, Britney Spears. Spears. Right. She's still under a conservatorship. <clears throat> she can't even control her own career. And, yeah. like, they, they put her under that conservatorship when um, she went quote-unquote crazy and shaved her head. Like, what was that, back in 2007 or whenever that was? Yeah. And um, she was doing an interview at one point and somebody kind of asked her about it and she's like you know I, I was just tired of people touching me every day you have to have the hair extensions in you have to have the makeup in you have to can't even you know just be a mom and and now that she's kind of like been you know she had a, a Vegas show for a while she um, you know has been slowing down clearly because she's my age um, she's a really good mom to her kids and she's proven that she's kind of like chilled out and she really wants control of her own life and it's hard for some of these pop stars mainly because when they're young they sort of need that guardianship but then like the parents are kind of almost mm -hmm. using them for themselves so yeah it, it's a lot of pressure and uh, you know I'm sure Winehouse was a, a reflection of that so I mean she's there's, you know, when we um, were watching, was it the L7 documentary from the, and it was from the 90s, and they had a whole bunch of, like, old, like, VHS mm -hmm. recordings um, that Amy, it's been 
I said it the other day because I was reading it. It's been like, what, 15 years? Been a while. And I was watching something on her, and there's lots of, from her being in high school and personal um, recordings, and you see this fantastic singer, and you see this bright, bubbly, you know, person, and she just kind of gets beat down by the system. Well, that was depressing. Yeah. So it just shows you all the, the pain that can happen when you're a musician and mm -hmm. the pressures of the labels and the agents who want to get you out there to do make money. All right, well, we're going to jump into some more music. All brand new stuff from Cerebral Rot, Pestilence, and the new stuff from At The Gates. Touched by the White Hands of Death. Nice.
Come get it. Your lip. UltimateClassicRock.com that gave their top 50 all-time best American rock bands. Keyword yes. is American. And yeah, you and I have struggled to make sure that the bands that we decided to come up with for ourselves were all American. Yes. And because uh, I was throwing out some, some bands, <laughs> I'm like, you know, oh, what about so-and-so? And they're like, oh, they're Canadian or oh they're you know from the UK or well and that's a funny thing too is like you know we know because we've talked about it before the Bee Gees they're from the UK UK but they actually had come to America for a while uh, to record some stuff so it, it's just one of those things you have bands and I think because I had Kingdom Come initially in my list and I think some of the members are from America now but not way back when they first started. Well, I mean, King Diamond is an American citizen now. Right. But he's not an American band, so yeah, it's it's tricky. Definitely tricky. So, we both uh, worked on our own top 50, and as we were talking about you know, while the music's playing, really, any given week, this list can probably change a little bit here and there. Uh, But I think we both tried to do our best to put the bands that we were thinking belong on there where they are and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the bands and why they're there and where they're ranked so i think what we'll do is my my numbering system on my list like got all fucked up so i started and like when i hit enter like the it goes like 50 to like 41 and then like it goes 42 43 so like it's all it's okay they're all in in the order but yeah so, well, I think what we'll do is we'll we'll just take it like five by five. So, I'll break. I'll list out my number fifty through forty-five, and then you'll give yours, and then we'll just kind of talk about you know the bands that are inclusive in there and why. And so, I'll start with my first five. Uh, at fifty, I have Jane's Addiction. Me too. Uh, number forty-nine is Bruce Springsteen. Number forty-eight is Foreigner. 47 is Radiohead, 46 is Blondie, and 45 is the Stray Cats. So, I was kind of like, I used your list as kind of a jumping off point. So for 50, I had Jane's Addiction. In 49, I put in the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones because, um, for me, it was nostalgia purposes, but also even though it was a shorter amount of time they're still touring they're still in demand and they're still selling records number 48 i also um i had bruce springsteen at 48 47 was radiohead 46 i put the smashing pumpkins and 45 i put the stray cats yeah so okay so obviously you and i will probably have some differences Mm -hmm. here um you're probably going to take Tass with Blondie being this low on my list. Oh, yeah, because sure. uh, my Blondie, I don't know what number she is, because well, they fucked up my list. But you have Smashing Pumpkins really low. I don't think they're that great. Um, I don't think they were that influential. 
they had like a couple of good songs and they're to me they're just like Radiohead almost. Mm. Mm. Actually Radiohead mm. is terrible, but Smashing Pumpkins is okay. Normally Smashing Pumpkins to me, like their first three records are pure gold. Classics all the way around, front to back. Uh, you don't see it that way, that's fine. Radiohead probably wouldn't make my personal list. I do like a handful of tracks. However, I do think they paved the way for a lot of the post-rock um That's the only reason that they're we... included because I, I hate them. Right. I do. I like I I like zero songs by Radiohead. <laughs> if it, it's a terrible thing to say, but well, I, it's it's I mean, you didn't like Creep either. That was like their biggest hit for me. I hate Creep. <laughs> The song I kind of... I think they hate it now, too, though. The song I kind of liked was Karma Police. See, I didn't like that one that much. Burn the Witch is probably my favorite. But I do recognize that they kind of, like, started this whole thing with the post-rock type vibe that they got or the shoegaze kind of stuff going on there. Yeah, I'm not a big shoegazer, either. Uh... Little surprise that you had Stray Cats where I have Stray Cats. I actually had I, I had Jane's Addiction, Mighty Mighty Ballstones, Bruce Springsteen, Radiohead, Smashing Pumpkins, and then the Stray Cats. So I had them a little bit uh, up, and I put Stray Cats slash Brian Setzer Orchestra because of the going multi um, decades. You know, being able to. Now, granted, they're and jumping genres. Yeah, jumping genres, kind of cool and, and swinging. So, technically, the Stray Cats. One, two, three, four, five. So, yes, technically, the Stray Cats for me are. Um, I gave you six. I didn't give you five. I did it in my first group. I did it in six. I'm sorry. Cause, That's okay. Again, my numbering is all fucked up because my list keeps trying to tell me I'm stupid. And it keeps. <laughs> it, it gets really interesting here because then um, after I, I hit enter. It says 47 again, so. So what's your next uh, group of five? All right, so 44, I have Nine Inch Nails. Me too. 43 is Steve Miller Band. No. 42 is Kansas. No. 41 is Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. No. And number 40 is REO Speedwagon. Uh, those are all much higher on my list. <laughs> so I had I had Nine Inch Nails as well. Um, I like Nine Inch Nails a lot, mm -hmm. but I also think they had like an expiration if that makes any sense now that makes a lot of sense i feel like they're great but fact, that's all they like i don't feel like people younger than us are really going to get nine inch nails the way that we got nine inch nails well you know there's obviously people i've talked to love downward spiral and pretty hate machine now me pretty hate machine is perfect uh downward spiral has some good hits here and there. I didn't really like the entire album, but from there, they, you know, Reznor kind of just dropped off the map, but he is very influential, especially with another band that's on my list that we've talked about before, uh, who I think kind of surpassed them. Uh, we'll talk about that when we get there, but <clears throat> I don't think, again, it's hard to do when you're doing like an entire 50 bands, like where to really put them, because we like music from all of them. Mm -hmm. it's, like, it's like, it's just there. Uh, unless you have like Grateful Dead, I've never been into them at all, but uh, I, I'm not into them, but I, I put them on the list because of who yeah, they are. Right. 
So, okay, so who's yours 44 through 40? So I have Nine Inch Nails, Filter, Creedence Clearwater Revival, R.E.M., and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Now, see, Filter is the band I was referencing with Nine Inch Nails. Uh, you know, obviously the singer for Filter used to work with Nine Inch Nails as a touring. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, Reznor told him to get his shit together and go make his own music. He did, and Filter really became a bigger... Uh, band in Nine Inch Nails uh, from basically the mid '90s up until now. I mean, think about that that song. Do you wanna take my picture? How many commercials and movies has that been in? And so that I mean, it shows the ability to kind of. He's really a good songwriter, and mm -hmm. that's part of the thing. Like, not that Reznor's not, but you know, Reznor. After Spiral and Broken and all that stuff, he kind of just went to this lull where he was just kind of doing his own thing and not really putting out much. And, you know, occasionally he put out a free track here and there. He did put out a new album like two or three years ago, I think, but really didn't hold up much to the earlier work. So, you know, Filter kind of has been consistent throughout the years and they've had some really good strong records that have a lot of great songs in there that I've liked that I've discovered later in life because I'd kind of forgotten about them. Uh, but you'll hear from me on them much later. Alright, so... Alright, so what did I do? I, we did, I did Nine Inch Nails Filter, CCR, REM, Red Hot Chili Peppers, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't think I even put the Chili Peppers on. I know they were on the ultimateclassicrock.com's list. They weren't on mine. I, and I don't really have a problem with that because we talked about that enough. So 39 through 35. So I've got Alice Cooper at 39. 38 is Guns N' Roses. 37 is Pearl Jam. 36, oh, ZZ Top. Pearl? I do have Pearl Jam on here. Okay. And 35, Nirvana. Any problems? Um, I have... Some of the bands higher, um, like Arius, I have Arius. Okay, so for me, I have, now you might think this is kind of like, because I put Marilyn Manson, and I know Marilyn Manson is kind of like rock and no, metal, but he's, he's more rockish. He, he is also one of those type of people where the story is almost bigger than the music itself and continuing with all the rape allegations and stuff but I mean people were blaming him for Columbine like I know that's not like a good association but that's still well there's there's a influence. great tie in between him Alice Cooper and Wasp like, mm -hmm. there's like this shock rocker type mentality that goes on there and obviously Wasp is much higher on my list uh, even though they were probably influenced by Alice Cooper in some way, but they kind of took it like tenfold. Uh, same with Manson, you know, he did something more with what he was doing. Now, Cooper probably would have done it had he kept playing music, you know, into the 90s and 2000s. Although he does put out records, but they're not nearly as effective as it was back when he was actually doing, you know, a big thing, big deal back in the day. All right, so hold on. What... what God damn this numbering system. I'm up to 99 now somehow. <laughs> so, hold on. All right, we got 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45. I have 49. So, all right. 
So I I said Marilyn Manson, The Grateful Dead, uh, Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band, Ario Speedwagon, and then I put Alice in Chains right by Ario Speedwagon. And that's number thirty-five, or whatever. Whatever. I don't know what number it is. That's just this. Okay, is, that's this your next five. Next, that was the ne that was the group of five where I started with Marilyn Manson. Okay. So now thirty-four through thirty. Um. I got Chicago at number 34. 33 is Blue Oyster Cult. 32 is Foo Fighters. I know we talked a little bit about that on their list because they had them at 50. I kind of think Foo Fighters is actually deserves to be much higher than they had there on their list. 31 is Billy Joel, which I'm glad you mentioned him because I had totally forgotten about him. And number 30 is Sabotage. For me, my next group is Faith No More. Mm-hmm. Pearl Jam, ZZ Top, Sublime, and Chicago. So you can see that we are going, both of us, we're not just doing the alternative, we're not just doing the grunge, we're not just doing the classic, we're kind of like weaving in and out of everything, you right. know, because all of these different types of bands somehow have influenced culture or have, I mean, like, apparently some of the as we get further down some of these other bands um that we're going to mention are like just behind the beatles and, and record and that's sales. the thing people who are listening to this there will be you know you have to remember these are american bands only not mm -hmm. if we were to include the entire planet the list would be a lot different because there's so many other bands out there that you know we would probably put in our top 50 over some of these so uh, that's the key, is that they're all American bands. All right, so number 29 through 25. I have 29 is The Cars, 20 is Junius. I don't even know who that is. Uh, you would enjoy them. I think you've heard a few tracks from them, but you just don't recognize the name. 27, Faith No More. 26 is Cheap Trick. And number 25, White Snake. I don't even think I put White Snake on my list they probably wouldn't have about 20 years ago for me until I had actually started diving into a lot of their older catalog they've been around for quite a while even though the 1987 album was like their biggest thing ever mm -hmm. uh, but they were putting out records long before that um, and I think they also kind of got swept up in that whole like the hair, hair band died but then we <clears throat> have realized a lot of these bands still put out good records. They were just not getting any airplay. Yeah, that and, you know, obviously there's much like Kingdom Come, who's not American, but there was this comparison between Whitesnake and Led Zeppelin and how they were too samey, I guess you would say. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that always was kind of like one of the things that Coverdale and Company took heat for was being too much like them, even though I always felt they were kind of their own thing. Uh, but they had a similar vibe. Uh, who are your bands again? My next group is Blue Oyster Cult, mm -hmm. <clears throat> The Foo Fighters, mm -hmm. Steve Miller Band, Wasp, and Kansas. Mm. You know me, I'm a, I'm a Kansas Mark. So you actually had Wasp higher than I thought you would. That's cool. Um, because I actually really like Wasp a lot, and I didn't really know about them until I met you, and this is back in the day when 
still making mix CDs were cool. And the the electric circuit set that like I was like, this is fucking really good. Like, um, you know, I was I was digging the wasp and I'm like, I can't believe I didn't know about them. Maybe I did and just didn't pay attention to it enough. But the more I listened with you, I know you like made me some CDs of, of like, it's just like the whole, like the joke with the Judas Priest thing. I thought Judas Priest was over in the eighties. I thought like breaking the law is like, or no, what was it? Turbo, I think was the one that I thought. Yeah. yeah, I thought that's the end. Like I thought that's where <laughs> Judas Priest ended. And come to find out that there's this whole amazing, like, catalog after 87, but it's, it also speaks to, with the White Snake thing, Judas Priest was not getting the kind of airplay because it they were shifting to a whole different, you know, it was right around, when did Painkiller come out? 92? 90. 90. So, it was right at that cusp, and then it was controversial, and... You know, I really, that's why I'm saying, like, I'm sure I've heard Wasp songs, but it was like, hmm, now this. And it was always kind of like, <clears throat> in my in my car, I'd have the the CDs that you made me, and it, it was kind of like, it'd be like, oh, yeah, this is this is my man, he made me this. It's and, a jam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, so far out of the list, you know, even though we're not totally on point, we within the range of each other where we have bands, because... Mm-hmm. Now going into uh, from twenty four like to twenty, yeah. I've got filter at number twenty four. Oh, it's crazy! I had him way lower. Twenty three is Aerosmith. Twenty two is Blackwater Holy Day. That's one of the newer bands out there. Um, that kind of shares similar to they could be considered a sort of doomish metal, but they're more in a classic rock vibe than they are that. So that's why I like them in this list a lot. Uh, twenty one is Wasp. You had them on your last mm-hmm. group. And number 20, Dave Matthews Band. And probably would probably be surprised to have that in there. But uh, Dave Matthews, uh, not just because from Virginia, but uh, really kind of a landmark band at the time that they came out uh, because of the stuff they were doing. You'd almost say it's almost similar to my my boss tones, but not exactly. They're but, more, they're, they were the ultimate jam band. Right. You know what I mean? I, I actually have them on my list, but a little bit higher than than that. I also because we were gonna pick the song "Crush" as our wedding song, but then we realized we'd be dancing for uh, nine minutes, and we were. <laughs> but then then we we shortened it, quote unquote, to Peter Peter Gabriel's "In Your Eyes," which is still like five a five minutes. minute long song. Yeah. But I I feel like. Even though we like loved Crush, we we thought that In Your Eyes was more us. If you know what and you still do too. Like that was kinda like our perfect wedding song. Like I we don't really have a quote unquote song, you know how some like my parents theirs is hooked on a feeling. And um we don't really have a song but that's kind of like the the, the in your eyes and crush are kind of like our closest thing to oh like if we were at a dance and they played that we would definitely get up and and spin around the floor for a second right so for me i'm picking right back up with another person that you know i think you already had them on your list Mm -hmm. but foreigner 
Cause mm-hmm. I was way lower, but cause not because I hate him or anything. It's just he's a jukebox hero. I I, think, I mean they belonged in my list because of their influence in the late seventies. So but what with REO, but I'm kind of throwing that now to the future is because there's going to be a jukebox hero, um, like musical being done. There, um, I know it kind of like got railroaded because of COVID, and then there was like you know everything always just the whole entertainment industry is kind of like right now and where they're really trying to bring it like Broadway isn't even back and the ballet is not back so you've got all these out of work dancers and actors and stuff so that's one of the reasons I I, I, because I do love Foreigner Um, my next was uh, Guns and Roses and I think mainly the they're they're just the amount of records that they sold, slash, etc. I mean, you couldn't go anywhere without being smacked in the face with something with well, guns and roses. from 87 to 92, they were like the hottest rock band out there. Mm-hmm. So. Next is Cheap Trick. And I, I feel bad for Cheap Trick because people don't give them the kind of credit that they deserve. We love Cheap Trick. We actually saw Cheap Trick in concert. And I think people don't... I don't think you even know, because you like Steel Panther like I do. They mm-hmm. did a cover of She's Tight, which is cool. I um, I don't think, like, if you've ever seen the movie Joe Dirt, like, 70% of the songs on that <laughs> that soundtrack are Cheap Trick. I don't think people know, like, half the times they hear the songs by Cheap Trick and all they think about is I Want You to Want Me, because that was, like, their big super smash. Um, But... There are so many songs by Cheap Trick that you don't even know are Cheap Trick. Yeah. The next I have are the Mamas and the Papas. And I put them kind of there because when we were watching the that festival thing last night, it really made me think. I know they're more like folky and they're more like, you know, not necessarily rock rock, but the influence that they had on so many different things like without the mamas and the papas there would not be festivals i don't think people realize like how important and just the the, the fact I, I love when i when there are bands that can harmonize and stuff so yeah and then blondie yeah, and i can i can kind of see that i mean i had blondie much lower on my list but you know again we talked about with talking heads and all of them how you know, the Ramones and all them, they're all in the CBGBs and they're all kind of like starting this punk revolution. And it's like, ironically, between the three of those bands, they're all different in their own way, but they were all part of the same scene, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. And I, I love Blondie. I love, you know, they stopped when Debbie Harry's, it wasn't her husband, it was, they weren't married, but when he got sick, they stopped so she could take care of him. And then even though they broke up, they stayed amicable so that they could keep the band together so a lot of stuff you know remember that one album that blondie put out in the early 2000s that was just phenomenal it would you if you would have thought it was like a madonna dance album it was but it was so on point for like what early 2000s was and that's what with her and the band they have really transcended like they did some disco they did some punk they did a little bit of rap and they're very talented that they can be that like you know uh flexible Mm -hmm. and 
that was that was the end of my little chunk. All right, so 19 through 15 now. Mm-hmm. 19, I had Journey. I don't know, that's one of your favorite bands mm-hmm. ever. Uh, 18, Talking Heads. We just talked about them. Mm-hmm. 17, Black Mountain. They're one of my more favorite newer bands uh, of the late last 10 years. Mm-hmm. 16, The Eagles. And number 15, Beck. So I didn't even put Beck on here, and I, I know... I know your reasons, and I know why you have him so high, but I, I, I maybe it's just because I. Well, you know, the interesting thing is you talked about how, um, who was it you said that kind of transcended different genres? Blondie? No, no. Or, um, Stray Cats? Stray Cats. Well, Brian Setzer? Beck does that. He goes through a lot of different genres. Mm-hmm. Each album is different in its own way. I, I like some, I don't like all of them. Uh, his last one he did was a little more pop oriented, so it was more with kind of like the rappy type stuff. Hip-hop. You had one album from him that was like super mellow and trippy. That's this one, the, uh, the one that uh, I bought on vinyl. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, it's, it's and it plays well on vinyl. You know how some things just the, the and that's the thing when he can do shit like that or like Mellow Gold, the first record that I heard when he got hot with Loser. Those are the kind of records I really dig from. I like the more folky rock type stuff rather than the... Even though New Pollution was a cool song, like, that record was different than Mellow Gold. Mm -hmm. That was kind of showing his other side. Uh, What is that or something like that was another single off of that. Um, He's very talented, no no doubt about it. And I think that's part of the reason why I think when I think of guys who are able to do and cross different genres and do different things... He's just pretty amazing artist. Like, uh, you know, there's I you know I could easily replace him with Radiohead on my list, but I <laughs> I don't put him up as high as you have him. You know, he's he is important, but I feel well, you and I disagree on a couple of other things too. Like, you know, I have other people a lot higher, and I have people on my list that you know aren't even on your list. Vice versa, you have people on your list that are not even on my list. Right. So, okay, so at 19, who do you have? Or whatever your next five. Uh, 75, you mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't, don't know where they came from. Um, so it's this list program that, like, it's it's a... All of my shit is Google. So, like, my, my Chromebook is Google. My, my phone is Google. And it's this list where you can... It's kind of like the Google apps where if I wanted to work on the list on my Chromebook... Well, it, it thinks it's being helpful by helping me number, and I'm like, no, you are not being helpful. Stop You're auto numbering. Me. So for me, for number seventy-five, um, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Mm, good selection. Um, classic Americana sounding band. You know, like I have no hate for Tom Petty at all, and I also don't feel like he was like the right word um i don't think he was like super groundbreaking or anything but i also think he's pretty fucking awesome um next i have the eagles another band that this is the band i was talking about that they've sold almost as many albums as the beatles like that that just says something i don't love the eagles i like them and I like some of their songs, you know, but you can't deny what they've done. 
and what each individual member of the band was able to go out and do. Right. I have Alice Cooper next, because, you know, why not? He's <laughs> Alice Cooper. Then I have the Dave Matthews Band, and then I have Billy Joel. Okay. Yeah, Billy Joel has a lot of great tunes and, you know, a lot of classics. Uh, one of my favorites is actually not one of his bigger classics, but it's a great song. It's Pressure, and I really love that song a lot. Mm-hmm. I, you appreciate Billy Joel um, when we went to see that show, Moving Out. Mm-hmm. It was a really cool show because there wasn't any dialogue. It was literally a really, really good pianist who sang just like in Billy Joel style, played amazingly, and um, it was dancing. And the dancing took a story using Billy Joel's music and like, you know, they did the We Didn't Start the Fire and there was like a whole war scene and stuff. It was, it was very, very, I mean, I feel like Billy Joel is you know there yeah he knows what he's doing apparently <laughs> all right 14 through 10 uh number 14 motley Crue. 13 the smashing pumpkins way higher than yours mm-hmm. <laughs> number 12 zebra i don't even have them on there number 11 alice in change much higher than yours and number 10 boston so for me i um I have Talking Heads. I have next Eric Clapton. Ooh. Yeah, I did not think of him. Mm-hmm. You gotta think, um, Eric... Now, see, shit. Is Eric Clapton... Double check. Double check my thing. Yeah, I got to. Because I could substitute him for something else. English rock and Oh, God damn it. All right, so we're going to change that to Heart after Talking Heads. See, that's I couldn't remember if he was English or if he was... Because he did play on a Beatles album. You right. know, he played right. with Cream. Like, he is amazing. Right. So I did Talking Heads, then Heart, Nirvana, Journey. So see, my journey is way higher than yours. And then Motley Crue. <laughs> And, again, we're getting to the point, there's so many bands that... Well, I think from, like, our both our lists, I, I would have to say, like, I said it throughout the whole list, but if it was our top 20, it'd probably change mm-hmm. daily, because it's whatever mood you're really in to listen to, and how you feel about said bands, because, you know, Heart is a great band, Tom Petty's a great band, uh, Miley Cruz certainly. So, yeah, you I know... I mean, we gotta think about with, like, Motley Crue, um... Well, they were just, when it comes to, like, the dirty, sleazy rock, they're, like, the icons well, of like that. Well, like, the whole, the whole spinning drum set and the, the roller coaster. Tommy Lee. Yeah, and the whole Tommy Lee story. And then you got, uh, what's-his-face getting all Neal. fat. <laughs> Why are you busting on Vince Neil? Because when they were trying to tour, he was, like, he was, like, needing oxygen. I think, I think, uh, I think... Chris Jericho just busted on him about that. <laughs> Chris Jericho's like, yeah, come on, fans, man, get in shape, brother. You gotta go on tour, you're gonna do this? Come on. Well, it. we always talk about Sebastian Bach, and mm-hmm. we didn't even add Baz to the list, but that's okay, he could be 51. Um, he 
Well, if we stuck with like the top fifty hard rock bands, mm-hmm. or that, like, or like, you know, they would be way up there on that particular list. But like, the reason with like, remember we were watching the supergroup show, mm-hmm. and he's like, I got to go jog. Like, he, I got to take two hours of prep. <laughs> he's like, I got to get my hair done. I got to go jog. I have to take a shower. I have to put on my makeup. But like, that motherfucker went jogging every day, and you know he is in Gilmore Girls. He's Gil. And like they all joke about him, <laughs> there's he's so funny. Um, there's one line, he's he's telling his because he's a, he's a musician, a former musician. He's like, man, we were playing the whiskey. We were like the hottest band in L.A. until we just couldn't keep our shit together and we all broke up. And and like the other members of the group are basically. Kids. 21 yeah. to 20 and, and Vince at the time or Vince um, Sebastian is is older and that was one of the things they're like man he's so old he's so old he could have seen ACDC with his original lead singer like they were just busting on him and then after his um, after his what you call it audition he said you guys are really tight I think you're going to be bigger than Pink Floyd oh, God. so I have so much love for Sebastian Bach, that's why, like, I wish I, I felt like I could put him up higher. But to that point, with Vince, if you're going to be, you, Motley Crue is gigantic, like, overall. And you, you yeah. do need to be in shape to be a rocker. Yeah, you know, when I get to another band a little higher, I'm going to explain why Motley Crue didn't outdo them here. Uh but Monica definitely deserves to be as high as they are. Smashing Pumpkins again. We can debate, you know, Nirvana being the band that kind of kicked off the whole grunge thing and everything. But to me, the first three records from Smashing Pumpkins really kind of trump anything that Nirvana did in terms of, you know, just consistency, really. Uh, nothing against Kobe. I know that the tragic death of his kind of played a big part in that. But uh, to me, Pumpkins, they were, they were the shit. Uh, Zebra, mainly from a progressive rock standpoint. They, I don't even know that, Bam. You've probably heard a couple of ta- songs I played on my, you know, MP3s and stuff. But uh, they did go under their radar a lot. I uh, just very influential. They're kind of like Triumph in a way uh, when they were doing the prog rock and right around the same time Rush and all of them. So they just kind of went under the radar, but very influential to a lot of bands. Uh, uh, what was that? Yeah, where, how far did I get Boston? Yeah, okay, so Allison Chains, definitely. Um, you know, again, just even after losing Lane Staley, they got a new singer. The band still puts out great records. Uh, still sounds like Allison Chains. That's like the most amazing part of it. Uh, and so I'm happy that that band is in there and at the list. Plus, I was talking about today about the Clash of Titans tour when they opened up at Red Rocks before Megadeth, Anthrax, and Slayer, and, like, they took so much abuse uh, from the fan base because at the time they weren't the big thing at that time. They were just them. They were who they knew they were because, man, the box, but they hadn't become this big thing that they would. And uh, Staley and Kobe played right through all that shit being thrown at them and had a good time with it. They just had a lot of respect thrown out to them for that. And, of course, Boston... I can't, you know, just great vocal work, great guitars, uh, you know, great music. You know, I have Boston quite a bit higher. 
Yep. All right, so did you already give your next four? Yeah, yeah, because you put Molly Crew in there, right? Mm-hmm. All right, so nine through five, we'll do... Actually, I might have... Nine, I guess we're going to do so nine I, through six, because i got like nine left, so I need to split that up. Who the hell knows? I'm on number 87. <laughs> like, so number nine for me, uh, higher than what you as Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Mm-hmm. Eight is Rat. I know that's going to be uh, shocking to some people. <laughs> oh, big shock. Um, seven is the Deftones. I didn't even have them on my list, did I? Nope. And number six is The Doors. And before you get in your list, the reasons for... Tom Petty is pretty self-explanatory. A lot of big hits. Uh, Certainly, he is, you know, Americana, you know, personified. Yeah, and he did a lot of different things. Um Funny enough, one of my favorite songs is more of a pop rock song. It's don't come around anymore, but I love the whole Alice in Wonderland vibe of the video. Uh, initially, when you and I watched that doc a few years ago, uh, Stevie Nicks was supposed to sing that song. That was written for her by Tom Petty. and uh, She turned it down. No, no, oh, she, or, wanted or she wanted it. But, but he, Tom he said he, he sang yeah. it better than her. So he was like, now you know what? I think I'm going to keep I this. Could, I could hear Stevie Nicks. I would love to hear her do it anyway, just for the hell of it. I would just love to hear her sing that song, because I, I, she has a beautiful voice, and we're big Knicks fans, and Fleetwood Mac, which can't put them in this list. Because it's got some, yeah. Because they're not American. Well, the the interesting thing, too, um, like, with Tom Petty, one of my most favorite songs ever is Running Down a Dream. Mm-hmm. Like, so I have, I'm, when I say favorite songs ever, 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 it's like, when did that come out? I mean, I and I don't even know if that's like people associate that with a Tom, like it is a Tom Petty song, but like you were saying, don't come around here no more. And then that one song that was really big in the '90s. Well, let's get to the point. Let's roll another. Don't well, um, you have American Girl? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another one I love too. Um, was it rock and roll something? Um, yeah, so many hits. Like, it's, it's crazy. Like, in, in even towards the late 80s, early 90s, when I forget the name of the song because it's not one that I listen to a lot, but it had Johnny Depp in the video, or young Johnny Depp. And, uh, you know, he was just able to keep putting out songs that fit the times a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it didn't, it wasn't like a stretch. It wasn't like he went to like grind or anything, but he was able to stay Tom Petty, but while changing with the times a little bit. Uh, with Rat. The, the only differences here, really, because, you know, around the same time, Molly Crew and all these other bands, is that when, when I think of, like, Molly Crew's first four records, there's, or first five, actually, if I'm counting uh, Dr. Feelgood, like, there's really three out of the five are, like, really great from front to back. Um, Theater of Pain and Girls, 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 they had some good songs on, but they weren't, like, solid records for me. Now, Rat... Uh, their first five records are brilliant. Like, I just, I love them from front to back. And I know there's a little bit of bias in there because I'm a big rap fan, but I, I speak just because that's really how it is. Like, I've talked about before with the guy that we were watching on one of his YouTube channels, he was breaking down Rat's career. And he said the same thing. He says, there's just so many great gems on those records that people don't even really realize. And I would encourage people if you, you know, if you've heard Rat's hits, go back and listen just to the records themselves, and you'll hear a lot of great, great tunes. Now, you and I were 
debating the Deftones pick, but this is one of these circumstances where this band was started out kind of more in the new metal phase with Korn and all them, and then gradually broke into this like post-rock type of thing where the last three or four albums are they're doing something entirely different with their albums are so much stronger than the stuff they were doing early in their career uh so i think they kind of chino and them kind of found their way with their style of music and really when we're talking about modern rock bands they've kind of set a new tone with all this like even if you're not a big Radiohead fan. I can't see how you're not a Deftones fan. Like it's just vastly different. I am a Deftones fan, but I, for me, I just don't think that they're worth mentioning. As like, I like their music. Uh, I, they're good. I just to to put them above a lot of these other people. It. I don't think they're in, innovators enough. Of you know, like I know that White Pony album was like super super popular it's okay that that was kind of like their starting point for where they would eventually go Mm -hmm. with their stuff uh six the doors self-explanatory jim morrison you know they're so influential to so many bands and uh morrison is just a legend in terms of lyricist and his presentation on stage and what he meant to classic rock in general uh, there's just no way you're going to get away not putting them around up in this range. I agree. Because for me, my next chunk. Four, yeah. Yeah, so uh, number 87. <laughs> <laughs> fucking thing. Look, it, it, it's like being very helpful. Like, mm-hmm. The Doors for me. Mm-hmm. And then I put Rat because I, I have a soft spot for Rat because I did not even know they existed until I met you. Side story, when I first played her rat, she was not into it. Yeah, I was really like, this is dumb. You're so 80s. Yeah. <laughs> but for me, I have a soft spot for it now. And, um, so, next is Kiss. Because Kiss Army, you know, like, why not? Kiss, oh, God, fucking Gene Simmons, man. <laughs> He'll sell, like, toilet paper. Kiss toilet paper. Like, but that's not taking away from what he's been able to do and cultivate since the 70s. Like, it doesn't take it away. And, you know, he is, you know, an American story. You know, his mother is a Holocaust survivor. Came to America. And he made himself, you know, a better person. Yeah. God, I'm so sorry. Next, I have Soundgarden because Chris Cornell is so amazing. Like the whole band is is really amazing, but the just and maybe again, it's me being biased and me being in love with Soundgarden. Um, but you know, some of my favorite bands I I put much lower because I recognize that Soundgarden's um, influence and Soundgarden's sound like they sound like we were talking about this off air obviously they sound like professional musicians like they're always polished if that makes any sense mm-hmm. um and then i have aerosmith because steven tyler even though he's 102 and he <laughs> looks like somebody's grandma with like really bad botox and and uh, really does, and actually. purple and purple dreadlocks that man again he, what is he started back in the 70s 
and has brought he, he, he will tour until he drops dead he's he said that and he's like what the fans want the fans get um you know people have asked him don't you get tired of singing dream on you know that song's from what 79 he's like that's what people come to hear me sing i will sing dream on that song has made me very very rich <laughs> and then you know look at walk this way like well we've talked about before when we talk about we understand that it's got to be incredibly tough when you're an artist a musician and you have a long career and you're like you like need, leonard we, we even put leonard skinner on here yeah and i mean we could have but could like have. you know it's like everybody's like free bird like can you imagine like, but i mean <laughs> we talked about how maiden like you know they got to a point where they didn't really want to play the hits anymore and they wanted to play some of the other stuff that's a little more complex and i get it because you don't want to go out there and be bored because you've been doing this shit for like 30 or so uh -huh. years but at the same time, that's what the fans want. Like, this is what they expect from this. And Remember when I finally got to see King Diamond and he didn't play Abigail? <laughs> and this is after, like, he had some health problems, multiple. Like, he had a quadruple bypass. And then he had a back surgery. And then, like, uh, the tour was canceled, I think, three times. Finally, we get to see King Diamond. It was a great venue. And then it's still a great concert. It uh, was it was a great concert minus but they didn't Abigail. Play, yeah, they didn't play a couple. Of, they didn't play Invisible Guests either, and that's my favorite track. But you know, it, it happens, and it's funny because I think it was a few months later that he did the Abigail Abigail the Abigail tour, tour yeah. and it was up in Philadelphia, and I missed it. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, all right. So number five for me is Soundgarden. So we're so close mm -hmm. on this with our list. Uh, Cornell, brilliant. Um, I think out of, and definitely because I have them at five, out of all the alternative rock bands, they were like the best songwriters for me. Um, I never really got into the Audio Slave stuff. I know you did. Oh, I love Audio Slave. But, you know, that I heard... Song, I that heard, song, Like a Stone, it just like... Oh, it just there's a song called Cornell did on the single soundtrack called Sing It Seasons, which was amazing. I, I just, he's a brilliant, or was... Uh, God rest his soul, uh, songwriter and, and singer. Just his voice. Like, even when he did his work with Allison Chains on the Sap uh, EP, you can just hear, like, just stands out. And it's he was just such an amazing singer. I mean, I showed you that picture of him when he was, like, in high school and he was playing the drums in his high school band. Like, I, I love... It just breaks my heart over Chris Cornell and... Even what's his face, Chester Bennington, who was like one of Chris Cornell's best friends, and Lincoln. I mean, I didn't put Lincoln Park on here just because I absolutely do not they like. They could have been on, but there. they could have been. Trust me, if it was somebody else's list, they would be on here because Lincoln Park. They um. How what? How many fucking things have they been in? Like just the 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 concerts, the tours, the. No, movies been popular no doubt about it. i mean there's other bands that yeah i never really considered i know again somebody was talking about today nickelback um they're from um oh they're, they're not from America. canada i think oh, okay but yeah there's probably a, a shit ton of other bands that we just aren't thinking of but you but know. I, I really hate that like you know you have two friends like in chris, oh, yeah. chris cornell and um chester bennington and they both like i, I guess it was almost like Chester Bennington looked at him as like a big brother and when he sees like his big brother do but it. But I 
you know, Bad Motive thing and Super Unknown. Those mm -hmm. albums are so good. Super Unknown. Two thumbs up. Number four, Kiss. And the big reason for this is not just what you said, but this band had transcended like at least three or four decades where they were able to put out music and hits and you know and who stay the fuck Kiss is. Right. I think a three-year-old would be like, that's Kiss. No matter how bad they are now because of all the marketing and Gene Simmons just trying to like copy or you know copyright every fucking thing he can i saw an article where you know again they were debating the whole devil horns thing and but you know aside from all that the craziness with that you know the band themselves are you can't really talk to anybody and have them not know who they are number three heart um i had them a couple down yeah they, they are a really good band nancy and uh the Wilson sisters just so amazing um, I loved a lot of their stuff like Barracuda and Magic Man uh, their hits from there and they actually again when the single soundtrack they were another band it was like an alternative rock band where they sang a song on that uh, I can't remember the band's name but I remember them doing that and I thought well that's pretty cool they're again changing a little bit there and trying to fit in with the times Number two, I don't think... I think NECA will probably have this band in the top five somewhere. Van Halen. Mm -hmm. uh, Not Van Hagar. <laughs> Actually, Van Hagar and Van Halen. Yeah, you know, the thing is, even with Hagar, they were still very good. Like, it was a surprise, really, when Roth left. And then, of course, Hagar came in. But I mean, 5150, like, like, blew me away. I was like, I did not expect to really... I, I went into that record wanting to hate it and I couldn't like that's how impressive it was because not only was Eddie and company on point with their songwriting but Hagar was able to find a way to utilize his type of voice with that music now I don't remember ever going and listening to him try to sing the older tunes um it might be painful if I did <laughs> uh cause Roth is just on a whole other level with that but the, the you know again just from top to bottom this band influenced all your 80s hard rock bands and guitar and we I was going to say the guitar playing I mean Van Halen influenced Slash who influenced you know etc 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 yeah Eddie was a big influencer because nobody was doing what he was doing at that time oh, you know, a lot of them talking yeah they were just like whole finger tap and they were like what the fuck is he doing and that is amazing so that that you know that's something to be really proud of and definitely one of the best rock bands you will ever hear and then my number one is Sticks. uh surprisingly uh ultimateclassofrock.com didn't even have them on the list anywhere which is i know and that like broke my heart because <laughs> you know what a sticks mark i am yeah so like i grew up on this i've told neko I was really uh, young. First vinyl I, I got was Paradise Theater. And we'll be rocking the paradise. Yeah, and I just for even the first two cassettes I got, one was the Please Synchronicity, which they're fucking American, aren't they? No, no they're English. They're English. Never mind. Uh, but I screwed up with Eric Clapton. That's why I had to like rearrange my list. But uh, Kilroy was here, came out around the same time, and so that was like the first two cassettes. So Sticks, you know, again. Just loved the band. Uh, they were, were around a lot in the 70s and just had a lot of great hits. Styx is one of those bands that when we go vinyl hunting, 
Sometimes I buy the same she vinyl. She does. We have we own two copies of Paradise Theater. And um, she's like, do we have this? I'm like, yeah, I have that. I showed you that. Yeah, and I think pieces of eight too. I think we have two of. <laughs> um, I'm like, we have a couple of copies of Rumors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Flew with Mac. I yeah. have a couple of, because probably a couple of fucking Carly Simon too. No, because Carly's actually hard to find in the wild. Um, in the wild. Because <laughs> I know I have. Um, no secrets like that's that was like her big big hit that was like her so i know i have no secrets so i never ever will buy that but anytime i see a carly i'm like gotta get the carly so um gotta snatch that shit up sticks i i don't have words for like sticks because sticks is really two bands smashed in one think about it like give us your top five the beach boys Mm mm-hmm I certainly debated putting them on there because, I mean, they belong somewhere, but I just found other bands I thought were a little more important than they were, but it's all subjective. Boston. Mm-hmm. Now, you may disagree that this is not, but I put Dio. Because mm. Rainbow is a rock band. Well, the, Rainbow, you should have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm including the... Now, granted... Um, Dio is not a last in line. I mean, it does. It is considered a bit of a metal record, but it does have some rock vibes about it. Um, I mean, I know Holy Diver is a little bit more heavier, but like Rainbow in the Dark is not like it's not any Marilyn Manson. Well, is we not, know. Well, that's the thing we've talked about it before with rock and metal bands where they cross over a lot, and Sabotage is one of those bands. So I, and Lost, same thing. So I don't really have a problem with rainbow or deal being on there i mean we're gonna get to who really invented the the devil horns it was mystery it's Mm -hmm. a total rock song so i get it he he's the one who invented the devil horns yeah i'm surprised i didn't put him on my list i didn't really consider it but he would probably be on there well you gotta that was the thing because you um you hadn't heard a lot of his 70s stuff like when he was with Rainbow and then when you heard it you're like shit and I'm like yeah shit this is some good shit and it was it kind of gave you that like um a little Led Zeppelin feel with it but it was with Dio's thundering beautiful voice well Stargazer that's yeah amazing. that was the one I think got you you're like well I'd heard it but I didn't know who it was and so when you finally played it for me I said oh I know this song and I was like this is fucking amazing I'm like yeah it's Ronnie James motherfucking Dio (laughs) so I put him there because not only is everything he does wonderful he is the true inventor of the devil horns and he I wouldn't call him necessarily a crossover but he, he crosses over but he influenced like I mean, he sang with fucking Black Sabbath. He ha- went out and done many different things. I put him so high because I feel like everything that Dio did served a huge purpose to move forward music that we love. And that's why he's so important to me. Um, and just, he... I, I love all the fucking the swords and singing about magic and why not right why not uh, next my top two are the same as yours Van Halen and Styx and I would have probably never put Styx as high as I did until come sail away yes 
Um, because I, I, I kind of like looked at your list, and then when I saw you had sticks at number one, I'm like, yes. Um, and you, and again, as we said, this is all subjective, depending on the mood that. Well, you've opened up the door a little bit because now I'm thinking more about it. Like I know they're still kind of considered more metal, but technically, typo negative is more rockish. Yes, they rockish. are more gothic rock because I. Marilyn Manson is rock. He has metal influences in him, um, but he deserved to be on this list because of how influential he was and how huge he was, you know. Um, but he's not, you know, like Napalm Death. Right. He is metalish. Same thing with Typo. They can swim in the metal swimming pool and they can swim in the rock swimming pool because like uh black number one is like super like that is got some of the like riffs but it is a rock song mm-hmm. yeah so yeah i mean if i was to now that we really think about all that but uh you know they'd be up there in that list somewhere i but i i couldn't have not put the reason that, and the reason that, like, Black Sabbath and Metallica... Sabbath is English, so... Yeah, well, but you know what I mean, like... Well, Metallica, again, even though Ultimate Class of Rock Dom had them in there... This is a rock... I mean, if they're, if they're taking just Metallica's later stages, career, fine, I get it, but... You can't, to me, I can't really separate the thrash from the rock part of it, so it's like... Well, they went the other way. They were influenced by metal to create rock. Right. That makes sense. I didn't put them on there, though, because this... We're trying to think of, you know, American rock. And I, I really, like... That's why I was saying Billy Joel. Like, I know he's not as heavy as Dio. Or he's not as as heavy as... Um, well, and that's the thing. We have to sort of give this caveat because alternateclassicrock.com didn't have a specific genre. Mm-mm. They didn't just say classic rock. They didn't just say alternate rock. They didn't just say hard rock. So that's why you and I, we stuck with that format. Now, we gave different reasons because they didn't really have a criteria for certain things. We were kind of scratching our head about a couple of things. But uh, ultimately, we went with their criteria overall as far as like what they were choosing I mean, and for me, like, some of the bands that are not, like, quote-unquote, like, Styx is a favorite of mine. Like, I will listen to Styx. I'll put on, like, every record. I'll watch Styx YouTube videos. Even Come Sail Away. I say I hate it. It just annoys me. That's all. Like, it, it just, it's such an annoying song, but I know, like, every word to it. But I, um, you know, and I have a Jeep Renegade, and, of course, I, every time I think about my my car i think of the song renegade but for me like the eagles i am not a big fan like i don't hate them but it's not something where i'm like i'm gonna pop on the eagles and listen to them well i mean I, I'm but you have to respect what the eagles and I'm the sorry band same members I mean, have I, done i like the eagles but i like the eagles with joe walsh better like that's my part of it and i would have probably put Joe Walsh separately but since they were all kind of together for a while that's why I just and that, that's kind of where I was too I, I said to myself you know you got the Eagles and look at what every single one of the members 
of the Eagles have been able to do individually. These right. are real rock musicians that, and what I um, what I really like one Eagles uh, story was from the Warriors. You know, when we found out that song was literally written. Uh, in the city was written for the movie and mm -hmm. it was I guess they just came to them and said this is what this movie's about and make a song right I super super impressed with that it's one of my favorite um but if I was just gonna rank them and rank you know bands just on my personal taste it would be a lot different because yeah I like the Beach Boys but the Beach Boys aren't like my number five I, but I know, like, the Beach Boys, what they've done for music. Mm -hmm. um, same thing, like, the Mamas and the Papas. They're not, like, super rocking at all. But you know what? Without them, we wouldn't have festivals. And we wouldn't have even gotten Woodstock. They were starting it out in um, San Francisco. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? That's really important. Besides the fact that I love them, I, I do love the Mamas and the Papas, but overall, when we are having a rocking good time, as we say, what are we thinking about doing? How many festivals do we, like, see that we, you know, we're sad that we missed because of COVID, or, you know, we are counting down, we're Next counting down year. the months to Maryland Death Fest, it's the 20th anniversary, and we've basically gone to, like, almost all of them we've waited two years for mm, this one. and this one yeah like so covid hit hit us twice it got canceled twice because of covid and the year before um we didn't have any visitors coming and i was still sailing so in 2019 i had the opportunity to, to go work on a job in hawaii so that was a real difficult decision but he was like just go, you know, it's just going to be me and you, and I, you know, I'm not even buying tickets this year, so we are really Yeah, it wasn't even suffering. a strong lineup, so it's like, whatever. But, but we're really suffering for, like, a festival, a nice, or even just, like, a nice evening with multiple bands, which we have, isn't it Deicide and Cataclysm coming up in August? August, September, somewhere there. Yeah, right? and then we were looking at, at bands, um, looks like Meshuggah is happening in February and Sepultura is happening in March or April. So what what's really you know kind of making us happy is it's uh it doesn't so much look like that the entertainment business completely died and the music industry completely died. People are starting to come out and I know we're always going to have to worry about COVID and you know what? I I just gotta roll with it. We gotta we gotta keep going because I you and I really like we are dying for a concert. I mean we've we've been doing all these little club shows and stuff, which we're completely happy with. So but what's up next? I'm sorry, I'm very long winded right. as usual. Uh some new stuff. A couple of things from uh, Metal Devastation Radio from a split they have from Deconsecration and Reburied. So, mm -hmm. kicking it off with that with Priestess of the Void.
everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer. Hey, Beak and Zell, R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now. about that time for the rock block we have been talking all about rock these i mean we are just rocking out today rocking out last week it is just rock 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 out with your cock out baby rock out with your cock i mean you and i have to admit um i i think our relationship i mean you do know i i do like all kinds of music i mean from you know show tunes to the wu-tang clan but if we didn't share a mutual love of rock and metal, you, because you appreciate things, like you, you really started appreciating live shows when I, when I would take you to some, like, remember we saw Jesus Christ Superstar when Baz was supposed to be in it, but it, you weren't disappointed because it was another great singer. Um, I think it our lives would be a lot different. I don't even know how long you would be putting up with me if I'm like, we gotta listen to the hot club music every day. And you'd be like, no, no, no definitely no. not. Oh my God, I don't wanna listen to this. What is this shit? What is this rat shit? Which I did say at one point, but I mean, <laughs> oh God. I, I am very happy that you and I get to bond as much as we do over lots of things that we like. Indeed. And in this block, some brand new stuff from Scale of Summit. Got some other stuff from Rocking Corpses, The Rods. And the first couple tracks, it goes back to what we were kind of talking about with bands that are borderline metal and rock. Uh, new stuff from this band called Take. A uh, very cool guy contacted me through our email to play some uh, stuff of theirs. Oh, cool. And then uh, Born of Osiris has some new stuff out. This is called Oathbreaker. Take down the layers of fading You are my
Racing fan want to be a part of a winning team, then contact Carmichael Racing. Carmichael Racing is currently looking for sponsors for the upcoming champ and flat card season. You can be a part of a long tradition of racing as Paul and Rhea L race to the finish line in Mardella Speedway at Diamond Head Arena in Gilbert, PA, March 13th through the 15th, 2020. They will also be racing at Hunterstown Speedway and Capital City Speedway in Ashland, Virginia. Racing runs deep in the blood at Carmichael Racing and they are looking to gain sponsors for a new upcoming season. If interested, you can contact them at 443-202-3016. That's 443-202-3016. You can also find them on Facebook at SRChamp36. Carmichael Racing. Together you can soar as the engines roll.
That's it. I said the words. We're done now. Good night. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, um, this week, you know, I, I'm doing my, my rock block pick of the week, but like, this is a band I, you and I, I, there's another band that didn't make it on my, my list, which kind of surpri surprised me too. Um, but it's also because there's only so many songs and there's only so much, um, influence of that band and that was Toto. Like, you know, I love me some Toto. However, they're, you know, put Toto up against the other bands that we had on our list and our reasoning. It doesn't mean they're not a good band and there's not songs that I don't like. Same thing with this band, Weezer, and I, I put them both together because um, Weezer did a cover of Africa. Africa and then Toto did a cover of Hashpipe. And they like, so they were all, they were both kind of like joking with each other and I thought that was really wild. But like, for me, this song goes back to 1994, maybe? I was in ninth grade and um, I think it was off their debut album. And I think on that one, that was the sweater song everybody loved. Yeah, I like that one. Buddy Holly. Those are the songs that I really. Well, I really thought liked. Buddy Holly was on the album after that, but I might, might be wrong. Been. Might have been. But they were so hot, so fast. That, like, but see, they stopped, and they stopped for a reason. Like you know, I I think, uh, someone one of them was finishing up college, and they didn't like break up in a crazy like uh, Motley Crue, Van Halen like you know public kind of way. They just took a break and then they came back again early 2000s and you gotta stop showing me funny things while I'm trying to talk on the podcast ass 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 yeah ass oh stop it we're busy we're doing things so I, I haven't like I haven't really touched on Weezer much and maybe it's just because sometimes they're they're kind of like rat, like they they fly under the radar until they do something really awesome, like cover Africa. Well, I haven't kept up with them, but there's been people that we that I talked to online that say they're still putting out records. They are. And that they're really good, so I, I don't know. So it's hard to say for me on that point. But yeah, I mean back then they had some good tracks on there that I liked. I and I picked this song because. It's got that, like, alternative vibe, which we all loved, of the 90s. But it's also got the heavier feel. And I know that's one thing, like, you want to kind of keep consistent. You know, this is this is rock, but it's not, like, pop rock. It's not, like... I, there's so many things I want to share with everybody. And you're like, no, no, you're not sharing that because it's more into the pop vein. Um, but this song say it ain't so i actually and i don't know if you did this a lot with your friends when you were in high school and i don't know if you youngsters out there did this but when i was um in high school we had like you could rip dv or excuse me um cds but it was a little bit harder than it is now and then essentially like going into the um, 2000s and all, like, 
when you would rip CDs or whatever, you could just save them as MP3s and then everything played MP3s as we got older. Back in 94, when you wanted to copy a track or copy an album, you would give your friend a blank tape and then they would have to literally go onto their stereo, play the CD or tape, and take the tape pop it into the recording side and hit record. And then when that side ran out, you flip it over. So when I got this, I didn't have the album. And when I was in art class in ninth grade, when we were, we did a lot of, um, this was like fundamentals of art. So you had to do a lot of sketching and stuff. So you were allowed, there wasn't like a teacher up there going, this is Van Gogh and this is this and this is that. You would get like your, your lesson plan and you'd get like X amount of time to work. So you'd have your sketchbook to do private sketches at home, to practice your techniques, etc. We were allowed to listen to music. And during that class, one of the guys that I was in class with, he was playing this CD. And I was like, this is fantastic. And he said, just bring me a tape and I'll, I'll tape it for you. So I bet you somewhere in my blank tape collection, I still have this Weezer on on tape. So for you, all you youngsters out there who have never had the uh, had the uh, pleasure, pleasure of receiving a tape, like this was a commitment of your friend. Your friend would have to play the entire album and not fuck it up, not like hit pause or stop by accident and then give it to you. Because you have to start all mm -hmm. over. And it's okay, because, yeah, you could record over it, but then that means your friend is losing another, like, you know, hour and a half to do these. So that is what this song reminds me of, the, the tape-to-CD transfer that we were doing in the early 90s because ripping on, DV on CDs, like, off of your computer was more of a late 90s thing but still in the early 90s you had to literally play it and have a tape recorder record well, i feel like me i dual the cassette and oh yeah and both two heads and you'd have both you'd be you'd have to like get the finger play and record bam yeah because otherwise you'd get like that <laughs> so for this week i hope you enjoy weezer say it ain't so attention please Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. In a moment, we will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow. And we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ladies and gentlemen, DJ Neko's pick of the week.
everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 to noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Thank you, Mr. Gray, for that. How is Mr. Joshua Gray? I haven't seen him in a while. But like I say, he's been doing his uh, Twitch thing and the Xbox Live stuff, so I haven't really seen him too much on YouTube, but um, I was on there one day checking out some of his stuff on Twitch, so he's keeping busy. So we had a chance to finally catch the series finale for Loki on Disney+. Plus. I know, and I, you know... There's so many things like, all right, I'm going to say something that like is kind of, I don't want to say mean, but like, I've, I've liked the show a lot. And when we finally see who like the mastermind is, the reveal, the, the big reveal, it was kind of like. A ruined orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think like I was expecting something way different, and yeah. maybe that's what they did on purpose. But like when they were having their back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, like this is what's happening, and he's explaining like he is stuck at the end of time because he it came from you know twenty centuries ahead of where they currently are in their minds right and he's he's like i know what's going to happen regardless of if you continue my work or if you kill me because i've lived it over and over again like he he's he's like i know what's going to happen he's like i would like to just chill out and let you guys you you know the the loki's be my you know, take over, take over, pass the torch, take, you know, pass the throne, etc. Because he is one of the people who really kind of unleashed the multiverse. Like, he really, really, when he realized, like, there were multiverses on top of each other and there were other hymns, but then there were other hymns that were not so good. Yeah, he was saying it. Initially, they all started out kind of getting along and, you know, a lot of co-op working together. And then all of a sudden you had ones that were not so uh, nice and they were attempting to start wars and take over other timelines. And so he basically found a way to nix all those multi-universes into a butt to where it was one timeline and then he created a TVA to take care of this timeline. Keep it in like one continuous no branches and right. he was like you know because he's so far in the future of like he put himself in the timeline like way before so that all these branches you know would not deviate and you know it kind of goes back to like when Doctor Strange during the uh, the last Avengers movie because he can see like every possibility forwards and backwards and time and everything and he's like the one chance and you're seeing this other dude who we know nothing about except for this one episode um, 
That's kind of interesting because Doctor Strange can actually see things like that. Like we saw that in, in Infinity War where he was telling Iron Man out of like 14,000 something possibilities there's one where we win. Or at least he said in Iron Man I was like well, how many do we win? He's like one. So clearly Doctor Strange can kind of like transcend that part of it and we know that he's got another movie coming out soon where Scarlet Witch will be involved. Mm -hmm. Apparently, uh, just from this article on CNET.com, they talk about He Who Remains, that's the, the villain that we discovered, who they think is also someone by the name of Kang the Conqueror. And I don't know anything about that guy or whatever, but he's apparently going to appear in the next Ant-Man movie in 2023. So... But here's the funny thing about it all for me. Some people say that this particular point now in Loki is going to kick off the next phase of Marvel. But part of me wonders if it kind of like ruined it. Because I've been hearing rumors about Black Widow where we know it's a prequel for Natasha. I think it might actually be on HBO Max now. It might be, but... Apparently, people have said that like it's like a little bit too late. Like for the story, they say it's good, but it's it's like we know that she's already passed away from giving herself up, uh, in in Endgame and in Infinity War, or Endgame, excuse me. Uh, so I wonder though, because now like it seems like now that we've learned that with Loki's show here that there's much more to it like everything else we've seen up to this point means that like thor is nothing mm -hmm. in this in the tva he's nothing it's a paperweight he can't do anything with his hammer so like we know the infinity stones don't mean anything in the, TVA. <laughs> the tesseract means nothing right so it's almost like that's like the ultimate power that'd be something like thanos himself would say well that's what i would need not these infinity stones i would need this mm -hmm. but we didn't know all that prior to this so now it's like everything else that we've seen even though all those movies and shows were very entertaining they kind of leaves them kind of hollow because we don't really know what to expect from here on out like sure because they even made mention that you know when when loki was kind of like you need to deal with the avengers they're the ones messing with the timeline and they're like no they're allowed to like right. so it's it's very interesting yeah so like i just wonder if this particular show should have been something that was like last because once you've been revealed that everything else is kind of like just like toys basically in this particular world it, it's like there is no power like you can go off into these other timelines like Loki could seriously just dive into another timeline now and maybe get his powers like he has but it doesn't mean he has the ultimate power to take over anything like he can take over that particular timeline mm -hmm. as, as we know the great he who remains was like offering to let them go and actually win the new york war uh battle that loki was in and have sylvia go with him because it's, it's it's interesting too because um the first version of he who remains whatever we're going to call him that they meet at the end and they're talking to him and just going back and forth with like this is the story etc etc um he seemed like everything 
he was doing like because Sylvie was super upset because she, she's a variant, Loki's a variant, and every version of Loki is basically a variant. And um, she was upset because of the free will was taken away from her, and she she was able to escape. But like he was like, I know what's going to happen, and regardless of what you do to me, it's going to happen again. And I it's going to be some version of me back here doing what I'm doing. So he made up like the, the fake timekeepers like there. It was very much the great and powerful Wizard of Oz. Like they're, oh, yeah. they're just like animatronics that people so you pull back the curtain. People like worshipped and they, they knew that they were but then when they finally get to see you know he who remains at the end of the universe and he's telling them like why he did this you you start to like kind of understand it yeah on some level you can see where he's coming at you know it's if you continue because like right this is gonna be a spoiler but sylvie ends up kicking loki back to the tva because she has other plans she clearly feels something for loki but she has a, a bigger objective in mind and that's to kill he who, who remains because she's just tired of the bullshit at this point uh, she's still very hurt from being taken and created for this other world that she's been a part of. Um, we do learn that the variants are taken from other parts of the timelines and put into these positions at the TVA, which I guess their minds are wiped at some point so that they only think that they were meant to be there. Mm -hmm. Even Owen Wilson's character, Mobius, discovers that this is true. This is what Loki's been saying. They're just variants of us. We're just being... We're regular people being thrown into this job. So, what I, I... I was just, like, a little unsatisfied with finding out who the ultimate villain was. But then after Sylvie, you know, kind of, like, pushed Loki through the little door, the time door, mm -hmm. and he ended up, like, back at the TVA, and he's trying to figure out, like, how to get back to her, and she stabs the guy because he was like I know everything up until this point and yeah, everything he, started branching and then he kill and then she kills him Loki comes back into the TVA and it's the same but it's not it's already changed it's already changed you look at the statues it's not the statues of the timekeeper but the really cool thing about this and I just now thought of it uh -oh. when you and I were talking about Infinity War and Endgame especially Endgame when we went to see it you were describing you said yeah now they've all gone to get these these stones they went back in time and it's changed things yeah and that's how loki got the tesseract because they went back in time and they hit another timeline another branch they so even before this show was created you had already seen that well they've already messed with the timeline mm -hmm. because because then you see at the end captain america stays and then old. he grows old. Yeah. So he stays in the past. So everything that basically happened didn't happen. Like, it happened, but it didn't. But then, see, that's why it kind of, like, pissed me off with Captain America. And he's talking to, uh, what's-his-face, um, Falcon. Um, if we're deviating and we're branching, then Captain America would have just disappeared. But somehow he's on a bench. And that's the other thing. You, you, and now, like, because 
we'll just call him Kang, you know, he's been killed, so what does that mean for Sylvie? Because she's the last one remaining there where they were. Yeah, which she's was like, at the end. Yeah. And then we saw how all these other timelines started sp- sprouting off like wildflower. When we think about Captain America being, and, you know, an endgame, you know, old and passing away eventually, we don't know what other timeline holds the store for him. It could be totally different. Like, we saw the different Lokis. We saw a fucking alligator Loki. You know, we saw a, very, a child Loki. We saw just so many different things. But that's the thing with Captain America. Once you breach your timeline and you go back to, like, because Captain America existed and then he froze and then he woke up and then he he dealt with all the stuff that the Avengers did and the Captain America and the Winter Soldier Civil War like all of that happened if he was going to disappear in Endgame he would have just disappeared and never shown up again that's that's the I know they had to do the nice like passing the, the uh, shield thing but if Captain America went back in time and stayed there that would have been a new branch and a new you know timeline and he would not appear in the same timeline that is unless he had one of those little things that could take him to the other timeline which we don't know if he did or didn't if you, you know well, what we I mean? did see Captain America fight himself at one point um, because that's India. that's when another Captain America went and went into a but now we have all these timelines Mm-hmm. sprouting up and we don't know what is really in store for that but again it's like sure I guess it's going to start a whole new phase which we know more films are coming up but the thing got me was at this stage Loki's the only one that knows the truth about all of it Thor, Hulk Iron Man, he's bad dead but none of them know I mean at this point what kind of that they were really just a role like it's almost like you're just there but see at this point which Thor Iron Man which version of which would Loki even be talking to oh yeah because as you said He's when, the only when he one... finally got booted back by Sylvie he was on a whole different timeline mm-hmm. and, and, and he remembered but because the timeline restarted when he was at the end of time and she sent him back to the TVA that was the result of Sylvie killing him, allowing the branches to form again, allowing the, you know, 20 centuries, or 10, I don't know what it was, he said the 31st century, I think. Right. So, allowing 10 centuries to happen, but he said, as he was explaining, it's me fighting me, and there's not always me's who want to use our knowledge to do good. And we don't know what me happened. We don't know if the good me or the bad me, but we do know that the timekeepers don't exist. So, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's going to be crazy. Um, we'll have to see how it plays out. But, you know, again, what, again we, we know we, we've watched... Winter Soldier and Falcon. And, and I, you know, that's sad because I, I really thought that was going to be amazing and it was so-so. Loved WandaVision a lot and I loved the Loki series a lot. The only reason I was just like, 
I just wasn't impressed with the quote-unquote villain, and that just might be because I'm not familiar with the story, and I was, like, expecting... I told you my theory was I thought it was Howard Stark. Right. Because, remember, if you think back to, like, the original Iron Man, when um, Howard Stark, he had that video that he made for, um, for Tony, and everything was... Because the TVA is, like, stuck in, like, the 60s slash 70s. And everything is, like, manual calculators and with a little mix of some futuristic things. That's why I'm, like, I, I thought it was Howard Stark was the one who created the TVA because, you know, maybe he didn't die the way that they're saying he might have died. He somehow got trapped and then he created the TVA because if you remember in Endgame when they went back to the 70s and they were getting that um, they were going down into that layer that they found in the future but they went back and they found like that um, material that they needed it was all around like Howard Stark's lab and um, what's his face in, in Ant-Man the professor too mm -hmm. so i was like for this like feeling this kind of like mid-century vibe that you're getting from the tva everything was like typed up everything i was thinking it was going to be one of them who were in charge of it and that they had somehow figured out how the multiverse worked and they were th that's what i was expecting but it didn't happen and that's why i think I just wasn't so impressed with the final villain. So well, we'll see how it plays out. I know. Might be okay. You never know. I, I'll still watch it. Yeah. All right. Well, in this next block of music, mm -hmm. classic stuff from Devastation and Sepultura, but mm -hmm. we got some brand new Maze of Terror kicking it off by Death by Fire. Fire! Fire! She's murring already. Yeah, it's time to give her some more food. <laughs>
This is the Retro Movie Vault with your hosts DJ Anubis and DJ Neko only on Metal Tavern Radio. You haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these. Well, what about these two? Well, they suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I appreciate your ruse, ma'am. I beg your pardon? Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick me. Retro DVD Movie Vault is here. So. So. <laughs> so. This is. This was the uh, revenge for my <laughs> pick last week. It was Revenge of the Saint. Now, I'm going to say, I did not like the Saint, and there. I have. There, if you look at the Saint on paper, the, the story. Saint? Or, or the spirit? spirit, Jesus Christ! Wow! 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 If you, look at, if you look at the spirit on paper with the actors and the director and the visual effects, and you think, "Wow, this is going to be great," and it just is not well executed at all. I, I hate saying this is revenge, but it kind of is because, like, <laughs> she didn't want to, have to sit there. I didn't want to. I, you know, every week. When I pick my movie, I always be like, you want to watch this? And he'll be like, nah. You want to watch this? Nah. Well, I gave him no choice this week. And I wanted to watch something that I absolutely love. And... It's all downhill from here because now she's fucked. <laughs> yeah, next week I'm going to be watching a Serbian film or some bullshit. <laughs> You're going to put that one movie on that I'm like, I don't want to watch. Uh-huh. But the reason I picked this particular film is number one I it, I, I just get so gushy and romantic and you know Ryan Gosling's in it and I love Ryan Gosling and you don't say I actually on one of my trips one of my I'm trying to think when it was one of my earlier trips I uh, was gone and I was watching this movie a lot, and I made DJ Anubis grow a beard. And he's like, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm never going to look like Ryan Gosling. But... Yeah, I am close. You do kind of look like Ryan Gosling. No, not even close. But also, Rachel McAdams is in this, and I love her, too. Like, I, I think she's spunky and hilarious. And so when you put those two together, you get the notebook. Now, I know what y'all are saying. This is not a metal movie. Well, it's not about being a metal movie. We can pick whatever we want. But it's it's not even DJ Neko's typical pick. But it is... There's some interesting tidbits about this, though. And just give them the plot synopsis of what we're dealing with here so they know. So, you've got Noah and Allie. And this happens back in the 40s. They meet, they fall in love over the summer in a seaside town in, um, I think it's South Carolina. It's in Seapoint. And the place is still around. It's it's a private, like, barrier island community. Um, Allie is very rich from a very wealthy family, and Noah works at the lumberyard. They fall head over heels in love, but there's also a side story. You see an 
elderly gentleman reading a story to an elderly woman. And the story he's telling is the story of Noah and Allie. And the woman is just, she has dementia, you can tell. And she, she just is, every time he, he comes in and he, he, they, they're always like, oh, it's not a really good time. But as, as he starts reading and hanging out with her, she get she feels comfortable, like in a knowing way, like she, she recognizes him, but not really sure why she recognizes him. So Duke is reading this story about Allie and Noah and just really she, she the elderly lady is just like I really like this story I like stories like this and you find out that you know through the story Allie is forced away from Noah because her parents are saying oh we want you to be with somebody else who's in your it's a class thing. yeah yeah it's a class thing we want somebody in your station you know and she got accepted to Sarah Lawrence for college and that's in New York and that's really far far away from South Carolina so they ended up breaking up at the end of the summer and Noah started writing her but we find out like later down the road that Allie's mother was hiding the letters and during this time though Allie is off in college and Noah went to fight in the war Allie you know she she thinks that she's over Noah she meets this beautiful officer who was also from the south and his his father owns a cotton company and her parents are just tickled to death that she met this officer who is also an heir to this cotton you know world it's like a match made in heaven while Noah he went off to fight in the war and he comes home and his dad when he gets home he sold their family home because Noah was like really into this old plantation that had gotten dilapidated and it d doesn't even have any plumbing or anything so they sell the house and Noah and his dad work on fixing up the house meanwhile Allie is with her beau they're getting married and Noah works for months um, and then his dad dies so he was pretty devastated about that but he kept working on this restoring this plantation and he gets a lot of no notoriety because apparently um, this plantation is historic and and wonderful and he, he does a good job of putting it, it back together it looks beautiful and he puts it back together exactly the way that Allie said she wanted it to be because he took her there on a date so she wanted a white house with blue shutters and a porch that wraps around the entire house and he did exactly that and not even knowing that she would ever see it well she did because they did a newspaper article on him restoring this and as she is getting fitted for her wedding dress she reads the article and faints and so then she needs to go soil her royal oats. Well, I think she, I think she didn't. They didn't have a a clear because the the moment they broke up, her mom was taking her out of town. Literally, like move, taking her back to Charleston. So she didn't really have a chance to even say goodbye to him. And or then anything. no one ever all those letters that he wrote her, she never even received them. And 
So I think she really just wanted closure. Mm -hmm. Like we women like. We like to come in and, and, you know, pick at the scab again. Because that's what we do. Yeah. So Allie gets down there. And Noah opens the door. And he sees it's her. And he's just like, what the fuck? And he was really happy to see her. And they, they were being very cordial. And at one point, she was really, really upset because she's like it wasn't over for me why didn't you write me and he said that's actually a very key moment because she's ready to kind of just get back in the car and leave and you know do all that and the moment she i guess she felt like that he had just kind of blown her off after the fight and that's when he explained to her he'd written a letter each day for 365 days a year that she never got so eventually uh, Allie and Noah, you know, they finally hook up the way that they wanted to initially because um, cl clearly they are still in love with each other and, you know, she, she, I mean, she, she loves her fiancé but, like, it's a whole different thing. She said that... She said, when I'm with, with you, you, I'm one person and when I'm with Noah, I'm another. Right, and I think it's part of that whole different world thing because Allie is very smart, very classy, but then there's like this wild side to her that Noah brings out of her when they're together and they she's able to be a little more free with herself. And she made this comment to her mother when she was still a teenager before she went to college saying, you don't, they're like, oh, it's just summer love. And she's like, no, you don't know what love is. You don't laugh. You don't touch. You don't tickle. You, you do not look at daddy the way that I look at, at Noah when she's arguing with her mother trying to be like i know <clears throat> that i'm in love so while Allie is visiting now meanwhile this is duke telling this story to the elderly lady and you know there's some like intermissions where for example duke's children come, show up show yeah. up come to visit because they're living in in a senior living home now duke has heart problems he had I think three heart attacks in the last 18 months and um, come to find out when the, <coughs> when the kids come the elderly lady was getting a little tired so she went in to take a nap and the kid says said she's having a good day today and Duke says yes she is and they're like daddy come home you know, she doesn't even know who we are. And this is when you realize that the elderly lady is Duke's wife. And he's like, I, and this is, I'm going to tear up. He's like, that's my, that's my sweetheart in there. I can't leave her. I'm going to be by her side. This is my home now. And finally, after the children leave and the grandchildren, there are a few grandchildren, um, you know, Duke is hanging out with the elderly lady again and she's like well how did the story end you know who does she choose does she choose noah or or does she choose her fiance and then she stops and she says i remember i remember now and then you get like another flashback where you see you know she uh, shows up because yeah, initially it looked like that she might stay with the fiance but yeah it's you know Basically, love prevails over all with them two. And, but there's a lot, and, and of... she and she remembers that it's her. Yeah. That there that 
Duke is really Noah, and the elderly lady is is Allie. And she, after she hears the story, she really starts remembering, and she's like, I remember it all. And they were talking, and she's like, Where did I go? What happened? And how long do I have? And he said, The last time it was less than five minutes, and they're like fighting through the the dementia, and. Yeah, they have a, a little dance there at the end, but then again, her mind sort of just loses track and she flips out a little bit because she doesn't know who he is, doesn't know why he's there, doesn't even know where she is, and so, like, you know, she has to be restrained by the doctors because they got to calm her down. And they give her a sedative, yeah, and they and kept he, saying he, she's, she's sundowning, which is right. what, they, what happens because my, my grandmother had dementia and she was in a nursing home my grandfather kind of like it just kind of happens when you have to be in an extended care home you get like kind of sun sundowning where you get really confused and we saw it with my mom too when she was in in the hospital for a long time you you are bound to like a certain area and you get very confused is it is it night is it day is it this or that and so they're like, she's sundowning, she's sundowning, and they gave her a sedative, and Noah, a.k.a. Duke, older, you know, this is the future, is just crying, and... Yeah, because he hates to see that she's going through that, because he loves her, and, you know, it's it's tough for him, you know? But cause... he stays by her side. He went into that nursing home so that he could be with her and take care of her, and during that time, he gets rushed to the hospital because he had another heart attack and he was gone for a couple of days and he comes home or home back to the the nursing home but you see Allie elderly Allie kind of like aimlessly walking around you know they have a little shawl on her they put her in a wheelchair and kind of sit her in you know a sunroom with a bunch of other people with dementia and they're all just kind of like and and you realize that it really made a difference having mm-hmm. him around because he actively engaged her every day to take a walk, to have breakfast, to have lunch, dinner, play the piano because she knew how to play the piano. Um, when he was gone, she just wilted. And when he came back, the first thing he wanted to do was go see her. Yeah, and it was really kind of, you know, the movie isn't bad. Like, I don't hate it. Uh, it's depressing, but it's one of those happy, depressing things because it is a love story. Uh, eventually, when he finally wakes his way back to her room after the heart attack, she remembers him still. Right, and then at that point, he's they kind of like kind of just both knew like they just knew their time was up, and he crawled into bed with her. They were small beds, so he was just they were there, and they both ended up passing away together. Holding hands and like until the nurse found him the next morning, and even she was a bit shocked. But they, the the staff, all knew that like they were one of those unique couples that you know he wouldn't leave her, and he was right about a lot of things. The doctor didn't think it's really possible for her to remember much. He couldn't remember things in the long term, but the fact that he would go and remind her, and she'd come back occasionally and remember who he was, and and the the music. Because she had a, there was a song that they both liked to dance to, slow dance to, and uh, when she was playing piano, um, she knew how to read sheet music because she was a very well-educated woman. But um, at one point, 
he's actually out of the room and he's listening to her play the music and she's he's having a visit with the new new doctor on site and he said oh they didn't turn the page for her and then she just starts playing chopin which she played earlier in the movie when she was younger yeah and um the doctor said oh they must have turned that page for her and he said nope she's playing that by memory and it, it was one of her favorite like piano songs to play I um look I'm getting I get all choked up about it but I I I joke with Anubis all the time like that is us I know we're not like so dramatic but that really is us and I really wanted more than anything if if that is possible like because I can't live a day without him yeah, so I got that to deal with. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but Anubis, what what I, I told... I did a bunch of, like... Because she did it for the spirit. I did it like, for the spirit, and I did it for um, Perdita Domingo, because I'm like... Which is a good idea, because when we do these reviews, it's it's good to have some of the backstory and some of the other stuff. The thing I found the most interesting was Nick Casavetes, who directed a film... Is actually in a film that I don't know on DVD. I should, but it's it's an all-time classic for you sci-fi horror fans called The Wraith. He played Packard, the main villain guy in that film with Charlie Sheen, and so for him to go and direct something like this that got like a lot of Oscars, um, Gosling and McGann's won awards for it, even to the point that when they were accepting an award for Best Kiss, they recreated one of the kissing scenes on the stage uh, and people were going nuts so i mean it's it's such it's so impactful and i i've never read the book and this is one of these movies where um because silver linings playbook which might be one of my retro dvd soon um it's one of my favorite movies and so is the notebook i'm afraid to read the book because when i i saw silver linings as a movie first and then I read the book and I was disappointed in the book and usually when I when I see the movie and then read the book I am happy that I read the book because I feel like it filled in some like missing pieces silver linings it didn't and some people say that the book is so different kind of like silver linings that if you appreciate the movie so much that you're not gonna like the book um, but yeah, I I feel I feel like like I, he he's got a whole bunch of other tidbits, but I feel like because I wasn't really like into the spirit, I felt like I needed to understand like the story behind the spirit and why they even decided to take a chance on it. And Anubis likes this movie not so much in like I'm going to watch and this is not a movie you watch all the time. It is heart-wrenching and it, it, it's heavy. Like, I was like, we need something funny after we watch this because... It's, you know, when you watch them as younger people, characters in the film, it's fine. Like, there's a lot... I mean, obviously they bicker a little bit and there's some drama, but there's a lot of fun moments and great dialogue. I mean, it's really well written. Um, But yeah, the ending, you know, it's just... It's good because the ending is good, but it's sad. And it just is, but it's sad in a good way. I heard people say though, like, if you're old and you die, you're lucky. You lived a, a long, good life. 
And even though you see those two, you know, Allie remem remembering Noah and the part where Noah was going through his um, scrapbook with all the pictures and stuff, I, I really want, you know, I hope, I mean, we have that kind of love and that's why I get like really choked up about this because I've even been told by people, friends of mine, even my own mother, what Anubis and I have a lot of people don't have. And my mom and dad even totally respect when I say like, this is a spe like, usually on Saturdays is like mine and Scott or Anubis's special day because it's the only day that the both of us are not working together. And they rarely ask for things because they know it's important for us to spend time together. And I remember one time I was bitching about something stupid, like this motherfucker in his clothes on the floor. And my mom's like, don't be a nag. Most people don't have anything close to what the two of you have. And I really took that to heart because for me, a marriage, the only way I wanted a marriage to go is the way that we have it. I didn't want it to be like, just very rigid like this is your role and this is your role and you know occasionally we're supposed to have sex and raise 2.5 children and live in a little like split level and you know have this nuclear family i wanted somebody who really was important to me and who was my my best friend and that's what i got sorry go ahead go back to your to your stuff i'm getting all like well anyway uh the interesting tidbits that were discovered was obviously you, when you find even like stuff like Star Wars when you find out that guys like Sylvester Stallone tried out for Han Solo and stuff like that. So when McAdams won the role of Allie, she had actually outdone both Jessica Biel and Reese Witherspoon, who also applied for the part or auditioned for the part. Okay. So I found interesting. Interesting about Biel too is she was in kind of like in the middle of shooting her uh the reboot for texas chainsaw massacre which she was in and she had come from that set to do the audition with gosling so she was all covered in blood fake blood oh shit so it was funny that she did that i thought that was just kind of cool that you know she's like i want this part so she's like rushing she's like I, I want this part i'm still working but i'm taking my my five to come read with ryan the one thing that cracked me up though is you and I were talking about it the other night. Ryan Gosling does not think he's handsome, number one. And well, Casavetes didn't think he was either. Yeah. But that was what was so funny because he's he's like a one ordinary about. guy, and I'm like, he's not ordinary. He's he's just like handsome and quirky, and even when he's shaggy looking, he's handsome. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Wasn't there another movie? It was with Emma Stone, and she's like, aren't you like out of a comic book or some shit it was the one that steve carell's in and like she was dating him but gosling is trying to teach steve carell like how to date again and he takes off his shirt and she's like what the fuck <laughs> yeah. yeah so i mean it's like girls just like drag their tongues for this guy so uh, it's just kind of funny. Casavetes didn't think he was handsome enough. Like it wasn't really like a way to disparage him, but just he he wanted someone to look kind of normal, a kid, whatever. 
Uh, but the dude's built like a brick shit house. And you're right though when they um, because you told me that they they did it in back backwards. Yeah. So he already had his beard and everything. When so. they shaved his beard. He looked like he was 12. Like, he really did look like a teenager, but, like, you know, in the later scenes, when he's got the shaggy hair and the big beard, he looks like a downtrodden, like, been through a lot of shit, went to war, his best friend died, his girl left, I've been drinking, like, every night kind of guy. And I I just... I love it. <laughs> Um, also, the director's mother played the older version of Allie uh, against um, James Garner, so that was kind of cool. I thought that was really sweet too, and she was adorable. Like she. And the was... most interesting thing about this was what originally Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears were considered for the lead roles. Ah. And I, I don't like. I've gone to kind of appreciate Timberlake later when he started acting a little bit. He was doing a pretty good job. I just don't know if either one would have done this film any justice. I think they made the right choice uh, for the characters. I do, too. I I, I love Rachel McAdams. I, I love her in Mean Girls. There's the movie she does with Harrison Ford, Morning Glory, which is that was actually pretty good hysterical. Film, and I love the part when... Um, oh, shit. Who's the older lady who's working opposite of Harrison Ford? Is it Diane Lane? I think so. Yeah. And she's like yelling at Harrison Ford. She's like, this is the best producer we've had. I'm on board. This guy's on board. This guy's on board. We're going to lose her. We're going to lose our show. You're a curmudgeon old bastard. So, and she's interviewing for a network thing. And as soon as Diane Lane, like, threatens that, Rachel McAdams is is leaving to go to a network. Harrison Ford is like, this is my frittata. And, it, and his entire monotone, the entire fucking movie is hysteria. He's like, if you want to make a frittata, this is how I do it. And she is in, in an interview at the time and they have it up on the TV because she's interviewing at another news station and she starts laughing and crying because she's like, he really does care. He's an asshole, but he really does care. And a very underrated role by Harrison Ford. I agree. Um, other things that are interesting. Um, apparently, Gosling and the guys did not get along offset, even though they had great chemistry on set. I thought that was very interesting. But that's another thing, too, with, um, like... In The Office, Jim and Pam, you know, everybody's like, oh, the love story. And, you know, John Krasinski is married to Emily Blunt, so, like, why would you leave Emily Blunt? And then, uh, what's-her-face, Jenna is um, married to some other hot dude, too. And everybody was like, oh, the chemistry they have, they should have ended up together in, in real life. And it was kind of like, no, acting is acting. Well, I don't know what the reasons were that they didn't really get along behind the scenes, but the one last point I wanted to make that I thought was very interesting, and it's something that you normally wouldn't even think about because for you and I, we, we love each other and we feel that strongly about each other. The scene where Allie and Noah break up, you know, it's like the minute he starts driving away, she starts panicking. It's like, no, 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 I'm just, we got to talk this out. She's or, like, it'll be fine tomorrow, right? And I'm just thinking to myself, you know, the modern movies that we have now and just the way that society looks at that would 
kind of like not really let that fly like it's uh, to me it's it's bullshit but i i hear what you're saying because like nowadays it's like okay it's like you want to belittle the man and just kick him while he's down and then be like i'm a strong woman i'm just gonna move on right and And that's the thing like you know yeah the movie itself had her kind of moving on but that was some other circumstances involved because of the letters not getting to her who knows how it would have changed but they would have seen her as desperate and then some i hate to say it feminists would be like oh you don't need to be chasing that guy and i'm like but she's in love and she loves him and he loves her they, they you know they did have a fight and it was ridiculous but i just i hate when people kind of look at things like that and they'll automatically assume that like the woman's weak because she wants to be with that guy and in the end the movie proves that they belong together that period that's and that's the thing that people lose track of the the best part is when she she's like you're gonna tear tell me i'm an an arrogant ass and i'm gonna call you a pain in the ass every day and you're it's, a pain in the ass right now <laughs> and then you have like a three second rebound and you're back doing the next pain in the ass thing it might be hard work but I want you. And then he's like, what do you want? <laughs> I, um, again, one of the reasons that this movie just touches me so much is because I have been lucky. I was only 21 when I met Anubis, so my entire adult life I have been in love. And a lot of people don't get that. A lot of people... You know, I, I, I'm not saying I didn't have shitty boyfriends and shitty dates and shitty things happen to me, but when you get scooped up at an early age, you kind of just, it's it's just what you're feeling in your heart. Like, this is what it's supposed to be. And uh, a friend of mine, she married her husband young as well, and her husband passed away, and she's basically right now saying I don't even know how like and her husband's been gone about six years and she's like I don't even know how to approach life anymore you know I've been on dates I like everything's on apps now I don't know how like I've just been so spoiled because I had such a great husband that I um you have these guys now that they're just like okay we're we're hooking up or whatever so i don't know but that that's why this movie speaks to me not just because i like like the actors and i love crying sometimes and this is again this is not a movie you're gonna watch a lot it's a movie you watch when you're in the mood to watch it but i was really missing anubis on one of my trips and i just watched it like every night before i went to bed which you know I I hope all of you out there have love like I have love. And... All right, let's get back to some metal because it's getting It's getting really too... Is, is, is there too much, like, vagina showing? Yeah, I'm too sorry. much vagina pink cat shit going on right now. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not even a pink cat. I know, I'm just fucking with you. I am a, I'm a lover. You're a pain in the ass. You're an arrogant <laughs> prick, but... Uh, kicking off this next block... As we get ready to close this motherfucker out, New Mayhem, Voices at Alta.
looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at A328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you would find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you
Eileen, Bestia, Ride by Curtain Calls. Thank you very much for that. Hope you all enjoyed this episode. Uh, Neko had to step up to go get our food that got delivered because it's about that time for a little late night for us on a weekday. But when this gets released, I hope you all enjoy it. Hope you enjoy the talking points, the topics, and the music, of course. Got anything you want to hear? Let us know. Haven't got any requests in a while, so if you got something you want to hear, just let us know. If not, we're doing a good job, I hope. Thanks to the labels and promotional sites for the music they provide us. Um, much, much appreciated for that. To discover new bands and get that new stuff aired out to you. Thanks, guys, everybody. Appreciate it. One last track for you. It's Savage with White Hot. Thank <laughs> you.